Okay, I'd like to talk to you this morning about the model church. Uh, it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, you know, if somebody would have asked me, what, what is the model church, which one is it in the New Testament, I would have for sure picked uh, the church at Philippi. But uh, this one also is a good one. Uh, let's begin reading and look in your Bible, please, to chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. In other words, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his normal introduction. Grace to you, blessing to you. Favor on you from God. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. You know, it always amazed me when Paul gives these little introductions to particular churches. He's always talking about how, how consistently and often he prays for them. Uh, in addition to all of his activity, in addition to going from place to place, he's continually praying for all of these churches. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, uh, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. You know, the gospel can be delivered in several different ways. One of which is just word only, just saying the words, just speaking the words. Uh, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. You know, it's always good to, uh, especially when you choose to follow somebody, to make sure they're following the Lord. Uh, because how many people do you know through the years that have followed somebody and they led them right over the cliff? Uh, well, they said, listen, you followed me and I was following the Lord, and so we were going both in the same direction having received the word in much affliction. In those days, whenever people uh, embraced the gospel, it, uh, they had to pay a real price for their faith. Uh, it really cost them something. It doesn't cost much today in America. It may someday in the future, but not now. Uh, you had received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples. And this is why I've entitled the message for this morning, The Model Church. He said, listen, you are an example. You are a church that other people can look at and say, hey, listen, I like to be like that church. Uh, you become an example to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe, all the surrounding territories. They look to you. You're the model church. For from you, the word of the Lord sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. They were a missionary church. They not only evangelized around their church, they went out, they spread their wings, they touched, they touched people in far places. Um, and from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that you do not need, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. Uh, this church, the church at Thessalonica, uh, was started by Paul himself on his second missionary journey. 
he was out uh, traveling and he stopped here for a very short period of time. Uh, and uh, he, things, were, things were happening very quickly in Thessalonica. At that time, there were about 200,000 people that lived there. Today, there are about 300,000, and it's called Salonica today. It's still a vibrant city in that area. You know, as Paul was going on a second missionary journey, remember, this church was actually uh, framed in his mind when he heard the Macedonian call. You remember what that was. He was in Troas, and uh, he heard this, this vision came to him, and this man of Macedonia said to Paul, come over into Macedonia and help us. Well, you know, that, you can't resist a call like that, can you? Especially because he was listening, he wanted to go in the right direction. And if you remember the story, remember the Holy Spirit shut him down. He said, don't preach there, don't preach here. And he was wondering where he was supposed to preach. And so this vision came to him and said, listen, come over here in Macedonia. And so, uh, and so he did. And he went to Macedonia and he went to Philippi. And remember there, he started the church in Philippi. He ended up in jail. And uh, the Philippian jailer was saved. And uh, remember his statement, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household as well. Uh, but uh, he, was, he was in jail. He escaped from, from there and he went to Thessalonica. And there for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them in the synagogues. And he presented Jesus as the Messiah. And he only had half the Bible that we have, the Old Testament. And uh, he opened that Old Testament and he reasoned with the Jews. And he, he said, listen, let me, let me show you these prophecies about Jesus, uh, the suffering Savior, how he came to die upon the cross for your sins, how he was buried, and now he's alive again. And so some of them believed after that presentation and started this little church here in Thessalonica. After that, he uh, went to Berea, he went on to Athens, he went to Corinth, and it is believed that there in Corinth he wrote back to this church at Thessalonica in response to Timothy, whom he had sent to the church to check out what was going on. Timothy came back and gave him a good report, and so here is Paul in response to Timothy's visit, and he's writing back to the church. Uh, what a joy it is uh, to know that uh, God's people are living in truth. And you can just sense that as Paul writes this particular book of the Bible, uh, this letter. Let's go back to verse number one. Uh, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I find this interesting. This church is said to be in God the Father. And on the very same line, what Paul does is he brings up the Lord Jesus Christ. Right on the same line and the same plane because he and you and I all believe that Jesus is God. And so what he does is he welds those two statements together right there. I call this the atmosphere of the church. In God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the word Lord here. And that's an interesting word for Jesus. This is the regular word for Jehovah in the Septuagint translation, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, made 300 years before the time of Christ. And so whenever he used the word Lord, they knew exactly where he was coming from. They, he was calling Jesus Jehovah. And so he was welding these two persons uh, to become one in essence 
This word Lord is an important word. It's the word that Paul used when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Remember? He said, what shall I do, Lord? And it is the name which is above every name. You're familiar with Philippians 2. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself uh, and came ab- became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is what? Lord. That's the name above all names, the Lord. That's the name that those in heaven and those on the earth and those in hell will one day kneel before and say and confess that you are Lord. Now the message of the church today is, hey, let's take Jesus out there and let's ask people to confess him now as their Savior. We had a wonderful service in the church last night, Saturday night. I want you to think about that when you can't make it on Sunday. Come on out on Saturday night. One of our older gentlemen received Jesus as his Savior last night. His family's been praying for him for years. He's in ill health. I don't know how much longer he has to live. But he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior last night. What a joy that is. That's what the church is, that's what the church is asking people to do because um, the Bible says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that's what he did. Uh, And so here we find the word Lord. That's important. Uh, Just as we are in the air and the air is in us, this church was in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, You know, we're not just people in the church who have heard about God and trust him. We live in him day by day, and he lives in us. Elmer Towns is a professor, is a professor at Liberty Baptist College in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, he wrote this book. It was entitled, he wrote, he's written many books, but he wrote this book entitled The Ten Greatest Revivals Ever. And in his book, The Ten Greatest Revivals Ever, he lists some of the characteristics of, of, of revival. One of which, he said, is this. There is a demonstration of God's presence in a place where revival is going on. And he called that atmospheric revival. People giving testimony to sensing that God is present in their midst. And so whenever you're having a revival, personally, I think that other people can sense the aura around you that God is with you. And when you are having a revival and we are, when you are filled with the Spirit and you come into church... That what that does is that creates atmospheric revival in our church. When people come into our church, then they sense God. Not just the church that's going through the motions, uh, having, a pl- having the program and doing all the programs that normal churches do. Uh, when you enter this church like that, uh, uh, things are different. Uh, I think that it, our meetings need to be marked and our ministry needs to be marked by being in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, not all churches with a sign in front of the church has this atmosphere. And I think that a church is not a real church unless it's in in God, the sphere of its existence. You know, that type of atmosphere uh, has a profound effect upon people. 
Uh, it turns the church from the trivialities of church, and the trivialities of the church are these. You know, okay, after church, where are you going to go eat? You know, what are you going to do after church? Uh, and it changes all that. Sometimes you think, well, you know, I think I need to go home and start to fast. I need to think more about God. Uh, atmospheric revival, the aura of it. I think when Paul made this statement here to the Thessalonian church, uh, he could be thinking about that. There's something special about this church. God is in the center of this church, and these people are in God. The next thing we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is the nature of the church. And I've always been drawn to verse number 3, if you'll look there. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. We need to model this. Their work of faith. Uh, they were a working church, and it's good. We have to be a working church. It's, if, we, uh, if we don't work as a church, we become a dysfunctional church. And there are surely many of them around today. People who are unwilling to work. These people had the work of faith. And what that means is they had their eyes on God as they worked. They, they weren't looking at each other necessarily for approval from each other. They had their eyes on God. Ephesians 6, 7 says, doing our service to the Lord, not to man. This word work right here is the normal Greek word for work in the New Testament. It's used 176 times. It simply means an act, a deed, an occupation. You know, God's work is Work is characteristic of a life of faith. Now, we know that you're not saved by works, right? There's nothing on earth that you can do to work your way to heaven. Uh, the Bible is clear on that. Uh, if, actually, if we try to present our works to God, this verse comes up in our face every time. Isaiah 64, 6, let's read this. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. If we propose to give our righteousness to God and expect him to respond by saving us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is the classic passage. Let's read this together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, here the Bible says we're not saved by works. If we were, we'd all be boasting about how, how much work we did to get to heaven. Uh, but... God has created us for good works after we're saved, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I have been ordained by God to be a worker for Christ in the church primarily. Now that work springs forth. Now these people, their faith was founded in God. You know, the power of any faith is in its objective. You know, if you trust in a this is not a good time to bring this up, the government. It's not good, is it? We've got to get off of that real quick, don't we? Politicians, et cetera, et cetera. You've you got to have your faith in the right thing, right? When you have it in God, isn't that the right, isn't that the right person? When we have our faith in God, 
uh, that is the best, that, it doesn't get any better than that. And that's what happened right here. And if you look down to verse number nine, just kind of take your finger down there on the page, Look there what the Bible says. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve. The work of faith uh, was turning to God from idols. Uh, you know, there are always going to be idols. I, I'm reading uh, right now this, this book. I've had it forever. It's fallen apart. Uh, it's the story, it's the biography of Watchman Nee. How many people have ever heard of Watchman Nee? Just a few people in our church, just very few. Watchman Nee. Uh, it's quite in- inspirational. In the Chinese culture, uh, whenever they had a life-changing event, they just changed their name uh, to, uh, to further define that event in their life. And at a certain time in this Chinese man's life, he said, listen, I want to be called watchman because I'm a watchman for people's souls. And this man had an incredible impact all over China. He was born way back around 1900. Uh, He spent the last 20 years of his life in a Chinese prison for preaching the gospel. And uh, it's, it's so interesting to follow his life as he served the Lord and uh, as he did his work for Christ. He, uh, he, says, he said in here that uh, they went to a particular little village, and uh, when they went to that village, in one day they preached the gospel, and three families received Jesus as their Savior, and on that very day they burned their idols. On that very day they burned their idols, and when they embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior... Uh, that was a work of, of faith. And, and I was thinking, how, how long does it take us uh, to burn our idols, God's substitutes? You know, we have more sophisticated idols in our world today, don't we? Money, power, fame, work, sports. I mean, you name it, uh, there's an idol out there. And it's all trying to get between you and God. And, you know, you could walk out of here today and you could say, listen, I'm not an idol worshiper, but you are if you have something between you and God. It doesn't have to be something made with stone or something made with wood or some little icon or things of that nature. It's just something that uh, has preoccupied your time so that you have no time for God. You give that idol more attention, more time, and more affection than you do God. Uh, I love what John the Apostle said in 1 John 2.15. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he that does the will of God remains forever. And you know, we always have this struggle, don't we? We always have this struggle of trying to get these idols out of our life so that we can really worship the Lord. Uh, The word work here is interesting, and I know if you're saved, you want to be a worker for God. Um, You know, but work can be prompted by fear or intimidation, peer pressure, in the church even. You know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm out of sync with the group, and so therefore I'll work. Work can be promoted for prompted by gain. What can I get out of this? Something makes us feel good. It shows off our skills. I'll work for the Lord. You know, real faith always leads us to works. It really does. 
when you have a true faith in Jesus, I'll tell you what, you just want to work for Christ. Uh, now, if we have faith that, that transcends uh, a lot of things in the world and our faith is on the Lord, then, then we have a faith that works. And that's what these people had. Their faith actually worked because they had faith in the right person. Uh, their faith wasn't uh, in the church. God forbid. Their faith was in the Lord. Uh, and so we want to model them. We want to have our faith in the Lord. We want to work because of him, not because of someone else. If you'll look there in the next part of this verse, look what it says in verse 3. It says, I remember without ceasing your labor of love. Now the word labor here is a different word in the original language from, the, from that simple word work. This word means pain, weariness, and toil. These people were laboring to the point of weariness. Now, when's the last time we have labored to the point of weariness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know personally. I know I've, I, I'm supposed to be in full-time ministry, and I'm supposed to, and I love to work. Uh, and I'm sure that I've had that experience a few times. But here he is commending them for that because, you know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, the Christian, the Christian life is just supposed to be like some easy little cloud I get on. and It doesn't shake up my, uh, my uh, comfort zone. And when somebody asks me to do something out of my comfort zone, I, I kind of back off because I'm not comfortable with that. Well, I'll tell you what, evidently these people weren't comfortable they were laboring to the point of weariness and toil. And the thing that enabled them to do this, follow this, was their love. It was the kind of love they had. And the kind of love they had was their love for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14, let's read this. For the love of Christ compels me. You know, when you're in love with Christ, it's easy to work. It really is. This love is so powerful. You know, people can get other people to do things in the church through intimidation or all sorts of reasons, but if you're doing it because you love the Lord, it's easy to do. Uh, and this is the cost of love right here. Uh, this, is the, this is the love that God wants all of us to love our wives, our husbands with. Remember when we made those promises for better, for worse, for richer for poor and sickness and health and to love and to cherish till death do us part. Well, uh, that's the kind of love that God wants us to love each other with and it's the kind of love that's the agape love. Uh, and it's, uh, it's hard for us to define. First uh, John 4.10, let's read this. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, or the sacrifice of our sins. This is love. This is the definition of love, John says. Don't look at your love for God as the definition. Look at his love for you. That's something different. But the Bible does tell us to love God this way. And so how do we do that? Well, that's a, that's a gift of the Spirit. Uh, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Remember Galatians 5.22? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Whenever we're saved, then we can have this love in our heart. 
that enables us to not only just be a worker for the Lord, but be somebody who is willing to pay the price, pain, weariness, um, because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Here's Watchman Nee. 20 years in prison. I just finished the book Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He spent his last days in a prison in Germany, and Hitler killed him about three weeks before the end of the war. War. This man got out of prison after 20 years, watched him in the end, and a few months later he died. I think he was 69 years of age. Um, These people paid a price. Uh, They weren't trying to protect their life. Jesus said, listen, if you protect your life, you lose it. But if you give your life to me, you gain it. And so the next time you think you're doing too much, uh, just back off and look at this verse. These people were commended by Paul because, listen, they were toiling, they were weary. And and I know sometimes you get weary with the whole thing. Um, If you look further, the Bible says here they were, down in verse number 9, they turned from idols to serve. They served the living and the true God. Uh, because they were motivated by love. It's amazing how love motivates. You know, I was just thinking uh, how much you guys love your families, how much you ladies love your families, and how, much you, how hard you work to keep it all going, keep it together. It's a, it's a, you're paying the price. You're working hard uh, because you love. And, and love, that kind of love can go the distance. You know that? It does extraordinary things. There's one other thing here in verse number three I want to direct your attention. He, he said, I want to, I also remember without ceasing your patience of hope. The word patience there is the Greek word hupomene, uh, actually two words, which means remain under. Uh, and the thing that enabled them to remain under the pressure of being a Christian during that time uh, was their hope that they had. You remember the old song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than... Jesus' blood and righteousness. Uh, All those old songs are coming back to me. That's my long-term memory has been kicking in lately. Short-term memory, I don't have any, but long-term. I remember when I'd always quiz my mother in the nursing home. I'd say, Mom, what's the name of your father's five sisters? And she'd rattle them off just like that. I'd say, Mom, who am I? Uh, my long-term memory's been doing good lately. Patience of hope. Uh, remaining under the pressure. You know, I was just, uh, I was just reading uh, last week in our Sunday Courier. This. How many people, well, if you were, how many people here last week? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, last week, uh, we had a, a little article in our Sunday Courier by Jim and Mary Bloom. From New Guinea. Jim and I went to Bible college together. There's his picture right there. That's last week. Uh, and, and you know, for those of you who've been reading their reports from New Guinea, it's incredible what they go through over there. It's a dangerous, very, a lawless place. He's been there for 40 years. He said here in last week's Sunday Courier, his report, he says, uh, We just had a pastor's meeting. We had 150 pastors uh, and young missionaries, and, and they asked him, What is the secret of staying on the field so long? And he said, that was a good question for which I do not have a single good answer. (laughs) I think it just happened while hoping the Lord would come back any day. 
if I can just get through this day, maybe the Lord will come back tomorrow, or at least at the end of the day. And he's been there hoping that the Lord would come back for 40 years. Well, that's what these people were hoping for. They were bearing up under the pressure, hoping that the Lord would return, waiting for the sun from heaven. Uh, uh, Those are three good things for us to model. Their labor of love, uh, their, their work of faith, and their patience of hope. Uh, we take this model and we look at it and we ask ourselves, and, and you know, what it could do, it could push you down. It could, you know, whenever you come to sections like this in the Bible, sometimes you feel like, oh, I can never, never, ever live up to that particular standard. Well, uh, you know, that was for their world, and, and we're living in a different world, but we can aspire to do better. Amen. We can aspire to do better. We don't throw up our hands because the standard is so high. We aspire to reach the standard. Uh, another thing that we have here is this, this church was an example. And I think one of the reasons why it was an example, look at verse number 5. The Bible says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. He used the word our gospel. This is neat. Sometimes in the Bible, the Bible refers to the gospel of God because he was the originator of the message and the salvation plan. The God. But here he says, listen, we have owned the gospel. This is our gospel. We, this gospel belongs to us. And so these preachers had made it their own. Uh, they, they owned it, and uh, this made it special for them. And I want you to own the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed. Let's read it together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also for the Greek. You know, I'm, I'm, the gospel is really powerful. You know that? It really is. Uh, and, uh, but, but it's the job of the church to just kind of unleash it, to share it. And let it do its work. You know, in, a, in America, we want, to, we want to do all the work. You know, we want to manhandle spiritual life. We want to witness to somebody and we want them to do what we want them to do when we want them to do it. But that's not the way the gospel works. Uh, the gospel works in its own quiet, mysterious way. Uh, but it's up to you and I to verbalize, to tell the gospel. And that's what they were doing here. They were sounding out. Uh, they, were, they were imitating these preachers and missionaries. They received the word in much affliction. They had the joy of the Holy Spirit. And the reputation of their church was going out. Uh, you know, reputation is, is, is something you... It just happens. It really does. Uh, their reputation was that they were an authentic congregation. And uh, they had burned their bridges. And uh, they were moving on. They were waiting for the coming of the Savior. You know, I find it interesting that, uh, that here is this book that we're reading from First Thessalonians today. Uh, back to this little church that Paul only spent a short time founding. 
and how this thing all came together, this thing meshed together, and, and then he was running off to another place. Um, and I think that, that we could learn something from this because how could anything like so profound as this happen while Paul was on the run from those people that wanted to take his life? He was just bouncing from here to there to here to there. And I was thinking, you know, you and I are not running from persecution. Maybe one of these days in America we will. Right now we're not running from persecution, but I'll tell you what we're running. We're running. We're running to make a living. And that's hard. Many, many people in our country are out of work. And uh, I'll tell you, I, when somebody in our church loses their job, I feel like it's almost like I lose my job. I mean, I feel for them. I just, that just drives me crazy, absolutely crazy. I know when Chuck back there is working the sound back there, he lost his job. I drove him crazy talking to him about jobs. Every week I was giving him all these hot prospects. <laughs> and he was following up on him, and he said, the pastor, that one didn't work. I said, Chuck, I'm going to get you something. And boy, I know a lot of you guys prayed for him, and prayed and prayed, and it took a while, but God finally landed him a job, the kind he wanted. Uh, I know you're running to make a living, and it's a hard thing to do today. Uh, I saw, I was noticing uh, Glenn Beck on TV, and he had all these business uh, people there and he asked this question some of you saw it he said how many of you business owners are afraid for the future that your company may not be around how many people did you see that on the program okay how many people are afraid all these business owners small business owners that's what makes america great by the way how many of you are, are afraid that the way things are going if your business is even going to be here and almost every one of them raise their hand almost every one of them Listen, those people are running to make a living. They're, and we're running to guard our families and to keep them together, aren't we? To take care of our parents, to make our church what it should be. We're on the run. But I want, I'm here today to, to remind you that Paul was on the run from his life, and he just let God use them. And so don't wait to serve God until you stop running, because you, that's not going to happen. You have to serve God in motion. Whatever you're doing, you're racing through this life, give time for God. Give time for God and say, listen, I know I'm tired and somebody asked me to come to practice for this at the church or somebody asked me to do this and I know I could sit home and become a vegetable and eat a bag of potato chips and watch TV and that would be easier. Don't, don't do that. Uh, these people, listen, they served the Lord. They labored in toil because they had the message that would transform a person's life. Can I have an amen? amen. Let's, let's close our service on that amen, okay? Let's bow our heads together. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you so much for this church. It, uh, it's really quite extraordinary, this church in Thessalonica. And we know that uh, we're just a church here perched up on top of this hill on the edge of Pittsburgh. And Lord, we don't uh, presume to be mentioned uh, in this way, but Lord, we aspire to be in some way like this church we talked about this morning. Uh, a church that's willing to pay the price, a church that's willing to go the distance, uh, to do more than is required in the midst of the running, uh, running and 
making a living and all these things, Lord, we want to offer you uh, the best that we can give to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.